So here's where we are. We're, on, we're in a new series. This is, it's really to prepare us for Easter. The whole thing is pulling that bow back just like this series is. And it's called Famous Last Words. The famous last words are really about the last 24 hours and some of the things that Jesus uh, said. Famous last words say so much about a person, all right? I think Bob Marley said, money's not all there is. Um, Braveheart is like, freedom! I think Churchill said, dude, I'm bored with, with all of this stuff. But when you, about a, a million times more is what are some of the things that Jesus said in his final hours before the cross. Some of them are real familiar to you. It is finished. Father, forgive me. They do not know what they do. Today you'll be with me in paradise. But today, I want to back it up to about a day before uh, the, the crucifixion. And we're going to look at a scene that is, it is somber. This is not, if you're, if you're new here and you're like, hey, I heard you guys don't take yourself too seriously. That is true. We take the word real seriously. All right, we take our responsibilities, we don't take ourselves super seriously, so we crack jokes, but there's not a lot of jokes to crack today, because today, the text is very, very somber, and that's good. There was an article I told you about a while back called The Death of Sacred Places. The Death of Sacred Places was this whole story about how we as a country have ceased to be able to sit in somber places and reflect accordingly that we just get nervous, we don't like the somberness, we don't like the seriousness, we think, well, I've gotta go on to something else, and he linked to the fact, and it wasn't all millennials, but just let me pick on the millennials for a second, the, the article was this whole idea of you got these people that are particularly going to the Holocaust Museum over in Berlin, and they were taking all these selfies as they like planked or laid on the actual tombs of, the, of Jewish people who'd been killed. And they were like, hey, smiley face, or muscles, or whatever, as they are in the most somber place you could be. And then they linked to another article, and the article was actually about how when people were going to funerals, they would take it as well. There was one actually said, Papa's funeral, Papa's funeral, and they were taking those selfies and smiley faces and thumbs up at Papa's funeral. I'll tell you what, if my kids do that at my funeral, I'll come back and haunt them, all right? I want some crying when that goes on. But they were saying, you know what, I can't take, that, I, 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 I can't take this seriousness. Today's is, is, is super serious. Now, we're gonna respond with a lot of triumph at the end of the service, but you just need to remember, we, uh, we wanna sit here, and this is, the, this is the opening week of pulling back the boast, pulling back, the, getting the slingshot going so that we can rejoice accordingly on Easter. So Mark chapter 14, let me walk through the text. Most of the time, if we, we were like, a little bit of text, application, a little bit of text, application. A lot of this is like, let's do some work on the front end, a lot of application on the back end. So verse 32 says this, and they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Now let's just take the very first word. The very first word there is and. And is a connective word that is connecting it to back to what had happened right before this. And right before this had happened, he was celebrating the Lord's Supper, something else that we'll do on those Good Friday services as well. But in that time, he takes them up to the upper room. They're expecting what's called the Passover meal. The Passover meal, if you're new to Bible study, is something the Jewish people have done for thousands and thousands of years to celebrate the fact when God brought them out of slavery in Egypt and the death angel, remember all the plagues in that last one was the death angel, and if they would sprinkle the blood of a substitute on their doorpost, God would pass over them. And so for thousands of years, the Jewish people on Passover would go up there and they would celebrate this meal. And the disciples are thinking, we're going to celebrate the Passover meal. But then Jesus doesn't do what they think he's going to do. And he takes a cup of wine and he says, this is the blood of the new covenant. 
or testament. This is, the, this, is the blood, this is my blood that is shed for you. In other words, all that Passover stuff, this whole meal, all of those thousands and thousands of years of celebration, it's all been about, it's, it's about me. I am the Passover lamb. And so loved ones, here's, if, again, if you are new to Bible study, one of the things that is called a, a hermeneutical rule, hermeneutics is like basically Bible interpretation, is that we believe this whole book is about Jesus. Even the front part of it, the front part of it is not just about rules and regulations and all that kind of stuff. It's actually in picture and in prophecy pointing toward Jesus. And the Passover meal was the same thing. He's like, this is about me. The illustration I've used two or three times throughout the years is in some ways the Old Testament is like that sonogram that you get when you find out you're pregnant. It's like, hey, here's a little, here's a little scooter right here and he's three months old. Look at that. That's, and it's amazing as that is, the anticipation builds and builds and as the months go by and then you get a five-month picture and a six-month picture and all of a sudden he's in there and you can see him and it's super clear. And as good as the sonogram pictures are, it's not as, as exciting as that day when he is here and he has arrived. And what happens is the sonogram pictures are the whole first part of your Bible. And then God goes silent for 400 years and then John the Baptist steps out and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So what he's saying is that whole thing, the meta narrative, the big picture, the whole thing, it's all about Jesus. And so he says, he goes to a place called Gethsemane. Now, what you need to know about Gethsemane, it's about a mile away from Jerusalem, and it was a place with a lot of olive trees. And it was actually literally called, Gethsemane means the place of crushing. And there's like three crushings when you made olives and all the stuff they did, and there's three crushings that Jesus is gonna go through. And there's a crushing you're gonna see as people take him and flog him, and then you got Caiaphas, and then you've obviously got the crucifixion. And so he's taken them to a place, the place of crushing. Verse 33. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and don't miss this next couple of verses, and he began, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Man, there's a ton here. Let's take it little bit by little bit. So first of all, he has his disciples. So you got 12 disciples. You and I might call that a connect group, a connect group. In his case, he had 12. In your connect group, you might have 10, you might have 20, you might have 30 if it's like a real, real, real big group. That's a connect group. But even from that connect group, we oftentimes have smaller groups. They're called disciple groups. And just like that, Jesus had the big group. He had 12, but then he had like a disciple group underneath that with Peter, James, and John. I often tell the young pastors, I'm like, listen, your authenticity bucket needs to be huge. In other words, you need to be yourself with everybody. Be authentic, all right? We don't need enough fake stuff. The fake you's doing just fine. Just be, be real, all right? That's authenticity. That bucket is huge. Your transparency bucket is smaller. It's small. Transparency is with people who've earned some trust to say, you know what? I'm not just gonna be authentic. I'm gonna be vulnerable and transparent, and people earn that. And so what you have here is you have Peter, James, and John, those are like his inner circle of the inner circle. And he, uh, he, he, you know, and the idea is like, this is the son of God. And in his time of difficulty, he felt like he needed his band of brothers. So the question you've got to ask is, before we go on, do you have a band of brothers? I'm not talking about a band of buddies. A band of buddies is based around golf or softball or whatever it is. Do you have a, those are just the band of buddies because if you take golf or softball away, all of a sudden those people are gone. But do you have a band of brothers? Do you have a band of sisters? Listen, we try to make it as easy as we can. We really do. We got like next steps out there. You got a QR code. You can look at all the hundreds of groups that you can join. All, we try to make it easy. 
But even still, we hear this. We hear the, oh, man, I just don't, I don't really need biblical community. And I, don't, I mean this in love, I really do. But listen, who in the world do you think you are to say that? If the son of God who like spoke the world into being, calmed the storms, healed the diseases, if in his time of difficulty, he's like, I need my brothers with me. Who are you to say, I don't need brothers. I don't need sisters. I don't need biblical community around me. You do, you do. As a matter of fact, somebody said, it's kind of like your retirement account. If you wait until you need it, you've waited too long. In the same way, if you wait until you hit that difficulty or that trial or rejoice with some promotion, if you don't have any around, it's, it's too late at that point. So now help us help you. Um, do you have people that pray for you? Do you have people that actually pray for you other than your mother? Okay, I know you're like, my mom prays for me and thank God for praying moms. I mean, that's the backbone of the church is praying moms. But if you don't have anybody but your mom praying for you, you gotta have some people that are praying for you. All right, number one, you, you lie to your mom anyway. You don't tell your mom the truth. You don't really tell her what you're really doing or she'd be like, what? I'm, the, she, you, don't, you don't tell her. She's gonna pray for you anyway. Do you have some people that are praying for you? Jesus is like, I need, I need you to come with me and I need, you to, I need you to pray with me. If you're like, I don't have that, man, go to the lobby today. We can hook you up and get you uh, in a small group. Verse 34, then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death, remain here and watch. Now put all that stuff together. The verse before he said he's greatly distressed and troubled and very sorrowful. The synonyms are things like overwhelmed, upset. One commentator said the best word for this is actually horrified. It's almost like you come upon a murder scene and you're horrified by what you see. And then he brings it to the Father. And by the way, some of you, you struggle with anxiety, you struggle with depression, you struggle with discouragement. This ought to encourage you. You need to bring that to the Father. You need to bring that to him. The Bible says, we do not have a high priest that cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. And you go to him and you pray. I'm not talking about dumb prayers. I'm gonna pray some dumb prayers. We do. Okay, y'all are not. Okay, do we not pray some dumb? I'll, I'll, you all pray some dumb prayers. I've heard them. You pray some dumb prayers. I tell you what, it's kind of a dumb prayer. Kind of a dumb prayer, and I don't email. I'm just saying kind of a dumb prayer is God bless his food and the nourishment of our bodies. I'm just telling you, God gave you that food to bless your body and nourish your body. It's like a built-in blessing. Now, granted, if you go to, you know, get a triple with cheese at Wendy's, you probably want to pray a little bit more, but normally the foods you get, there's like a built-in blessing. It's like, you don't even have to pray for that. I built it right in there. Or how about God, would you just be with us? Well, I said, you know what? I actually told you in the great commission, I will be with you even to the end of the age. One that freaked me out as a boy that we didn't go to church. We didn't go to church much, but we prayed a prayer right before I'd go to sleep each night. And as I thought about it, I was like, man, that's a crazy prayer. And here's the prayer. The prayer was, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. What? That is a crazy children's prayer, all right? Don't pray that with your five-year-old because the whole time I was like, somebody going to take my soul today? Somebody breaking into the house tonight, dad? What's, why are we praying that kind of prayer? Instead, he's like, I am praying passionately and he's going to the father. It's like, I am deeply, deeply troubled. Now, some of you are like, why? Why is he so troubled? I was asking myself the same question because, and I don't mean this in any way, but super reverently, this actually, he, he actually looks fragile, Listen, I understand. I mean, my Trinitarian doctrine is right on. I mean, this is second person of the Trinity. He's 100% God, 100% man. I understand that. But when you see words like very troubled, distressed, very sorrowful, 
Luke says that he prayed so hard the capillaries busted. In other words, he is praying his heart out. It makes you think, man, I, I, I've read enough history to know not everybody's doesn't die like this exactly. There's a, guy, there's a guy named Stephen. Stephen in the book of Acts, when he's getting stoned to death as the first Christian martyr, he's like, God, don't hold their sin against them. Man, he's just like, he died super well. There's a guy named Polycarp who was like a, a disciple, if you will. He was, like, he was a, a student of the apostle John. When they came to take him to say, recant of your faith or we're gonna burn you at the stake, he basically paraphrased, says, you think I'm afraid of this fire? You think I'm afraid of this fire? It burns for like a minute and it's gone. You ought to be afraid because you're like gonna burn in hell forever. This fire doesn't scare me at all. But then you look at Jesus and he's like, he's breaking down physically. It's like, what is, and it's, it's not just the crucifixion. It's not just that because he predicted that a bunch of times. Remember, he predicted it. Even right before this scene, he said, hey, fellas, we're going to Jerusalem. Like, Don't go to Jerusalem. They want to kill you there. He's like, listen, that's where God's called me. We're going to Jerusalem. Right after this scene, he's in front of Pilate. It's like staring Pilate down. But what is going on right at this moment that is causing that reaction of Jesus? There's a little word, a little phrase in there you might have missed. In verse 33, it's, it's there, but it's like something happens. Something happens between verse 32 and verse 33. Verse 33, it says, he began to be this way. In other words, he wasn't there before. The, in the, in the, 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 the phrasing is like suddenly. I see something in verse 33 all at once that wasn't there in verse 32. So here's, the, here's Jesus who spoke the world into being and he is horrified by something that he began to see. So you gotta ask the question, what did he begin to see? Look at verse 35. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, that the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Now don't miss this. Imagine. I mean, here's what he's saying. Because Abba, everybody thinks Abba is this like super sweet, kind word like it means Papa. It kind of does and it kind of doesn't. It doesn't just mean a term of endearment. It means it's a term of confidence as well. It's a mixture of my dad loves me and my dad's big and can take care of me. That's the, it's the mixture. And he's basically like, dad, is there, if there's any other way, I, if you can take what's about to happen to me away, and he actually prefaces it by saying, listen, you, you can do anything. Parent, can you imagine? Hey, dad's in this room. Dad's watching online. Can you imagine your little son comes up to you and says, Dad, I am dying here and you can do anything. I've seen it. You've, you have the ability to change this. Would you please take this away from me? I mean, what dad would not move heaven and earth to change that? And yet the prophet Isaiah says it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. And that's how, again, Gethsemane means the place of crushing. And it's all tied up with understanding when he says, take this cup from me. Cup is an Old Testament metaphor that all those Jewish boys would have understood. It's an Old Testament metaphor that talks about the anger and the justice of God being poured out on the wickedness of man. Isaiah 51 says it's like a poison that's poured into a cup that is then poured out. 
Jonathan Edwards actually, he said, you know what, it's like a dam holding back the flood of the judgment of God. Spurgeon said it's like a gnat being run over by a truck, by a freight train or by a, a freight truck. It's just, it's so much. And so when Jesus is seeing this, what he's seeing is like, and what he's recoiling at is, all, and think about this, all of God's hatred for sin from the beginning of time, all the murder, all the racism, all the debauchery, all the immorality, all of the, all of the stuff, all of it stored up since the beginning of time, since the beginning of the world is gonna be poured out on him. A word that we've talked about a ton because a lot of times it's good to see, you, you look over and you open up the gospel accounts. Another one you can sometimes do is just open up the book of Romans is kind of the commentary on what's going on here. Romans 3.25 says this. It says, this is Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. And that's the word that we talked about. Every, you can understand that. As a church, we can understand that. Propitiation just means a payment that satisfies it's very similar to what Jesus said on the, at, the, at the cross when he said, it is finished. It is paid in full. In other words, the wrath of God has been satisfied. That's why we say, if you're in Christ and Jesus is the propitiation, the payment that satisfies, then he cannot be dissatisfied with you. And when you look at the text, he dies not just for us, he dies instead of us, which Kind of in a parenthesis, this also deals with the biggest criticism leveled at Christians and Christianity in general. Most people are pretty cool with Jesus in general. In our culture, they're pretty cool with Jesus, but what they're not cool with is the exclusivity of Jesus and the claims of Jesus. And when Christians say that Je the number one criticism, besides hypocrisy or self-righteousness, tends to be, how are you telling me there's only, you're telling me there's only one way that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That's what you're telling me. I mean, and, and you need to understand a couple of things about that. Number one, we're, we're not making this stuff up. You understand that? I mean, this isn't something we made up. Jesus himself said it over and over and over again. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I mean, Jesus would have been canceled by, you know, today, but he said, I am the way the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's, that's his idea. In verse 35, he actually asked the question if there's any other way. So he's asking the question that people struggle with today. Is there any other way? If it is possible, if you can align your chakra, if you can get all the five pillars of Islam and put those right in an order, if you can like be a good person, if heaven and hell are a myth, if, if you can just be sincere in whatever it is you believe, if all roads truly lead to heaven, then man, father, this seems like an awful waste of my blood if there's another way. And what he said is, but not my will, but your will be done. And from that, sometimes people will say, well, how come God just doesn't forgive? I forgive. You tell us to forgive other people. Well, the bottom line of the reason that is, is the reason, the reason you and I can forgive is because we're, I mean, we're sinners. So we can, you know, for us to forgive other sinners is one thing, but you've got a holy and righteous God that you are not. And if he's going to be a just God, then he is going to judge sin. So the example that we've used a bunch of times before is, is hypothetically consider that somebody in your family who you love very, very much is harmed by another individual. Some individual from the outside comes in and harms the apple of your eye, your daughter, your granddaughter, something like that, and they harm her. 
And then that person is caught and then brought into the courtroom. And then the judge comes into the courtroom and he looks at him and he reads the case and he's like, listen, basically, and he's talking to the defendant, he's like, basically, you know what? I know you probably didn't mean it. I know you had a rough upbringing. So you know what? Just, you're loved and sent, you're innocent, boom, going out of here. Man, some of y'all be going like Liam Neeson. It's like, no way, no way. You would say that is an unjust judge. That is an unjust judge. And so the idea that Jesus can forgive sin and the idea that God actually judges sin is understanding that Jesus is the one that obeyed every command. He's the one that obeyed every command and then died again in our place as the propitiation, the payment that satisfies. That's why we usually use 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21, that it made him who knew no sin to be sin, to be sin. When he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the first time there's like separation between him and the father. So what's going on? Your sin and my sin and all it's being poured out on him. And he's looking ahead and he's seeing that. But he says, not my will, but yours be done. In other words, if me dying is the atoning sacrifice, which is what propitiation means, if I'm in the way, the truth, and the, and, and, and the life, if I'm the one that takes away the sin debt of the world, if, if my death is gonna be able to make men and women and boys and girls, sons and daughters of Almighty God, then let your will be done. That's why when he says, take the cup of the New Testament, because what? I'll take the cup of wrath so you can taste the cup of grace if you would believe. So here's how the story ends. And he came, and this is where you, where you and I come in. He came and he found them sleeping. Not an awesome D group at this point, but he came and he found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And this is a great phrase. The spirit is indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit that part of you, that God has given you a, a new heart. He's put a new song in your mouth and you're a new creation. He's like, that's willing, that's willing. But the flesh, that flesh, that part you still battle is very weak. So the way that plays out every single Sunday is you come to church, you watch online, and then God tells you very specifically something that would be done for his glory and for your flourishing. And it could be, it could run across the, the, the gamut. And you walk out of this place and you're like, man, today's the day. I'm going to be God's man. I'm going to read the Bible to my kids. I'm going to follow through in believer's baptism. I'm going to, um, you know, I'm going to run my business differently. I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to get in a connect group. I'm going to, I'm going to go on a mission trip. I'm going to start obeying God with the finances. Whatever it is, it's like my, you walk out of here with the greatest of intention. But then something happens and it's called Monday, all right? Monday happens and then all of a sudden the flesh kicks in. And then you turn a few pages on the calendar and days have gone by and then weeks have gone by and then months have gone by and, it, and all of a sudden, uh, you just the flesh is weak. You know what? I'm gonna wait till lake baptism to get baptized. You know what? I'm gonna wait till we get our tax returns to do something uh, and obey God with our finances. You know what? I don't wanna read the Bible with my kids. Why? Because I'm gonna look stupid. I don't even know where the gospel of Matthew is. And all of a sudden, what happens is that what God's done in you begins to die out. That's why he says, and the flesh is weak. That's why I've said last week as well that there needs to be certain things that are common that you, you are continually fanning that flame. The Puritans I mentioned last week call it vivification. What fans the flame? What makes your affection for Jesus grow? And some of them are for everybody. You might have a few unique ones, but some of them are for everybody. You need some God time. 
You need some word time. You need some people time. You need, everybody needs that. You need some God time. You need some people time. You need some word time. So what do we do? It's like getting the word all the time. We try to get you involved in the community. We ask you to serve. There's like a 2,000 people serving today. Are you one of them? Here's, here's the way I think of it. Because if you don't, you're going to end up running out of fuel. You are. A lot of us found out and crashed and burned during the pandemic. You had no, you got habits that jumped in there. You didn't have community to pull you back or to be a guardrail to bump up against so you didn't put the car in the ditch. And you just got empty. And that led to a bunch of other stuff. So I told you, I think I told one service last week, I'm not sure if this is the one, but Usually what Lori and I do, if we get a good tax return, then we do something to the house, all right? So whether it be a roof, you know, which is like not exciting at all, or something like that, some needed maintenance or something. But this time, it's like we're going to put in gas or propane to the fire pit. And so all this past week, they dug this big trench, they laid this gas line out, the, the, the gas company dropped off this massive propane tank because they go, this thing uses a lot of fuel, and they finished. And so Friday, they're giving me this demonstration. And they're like, turn this little key. Because before, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to say I'm lazy. I'm just like, I didn't build a fire that much. If it rained and the wood got wet, I'm like, this will be so easy. I just turn the key. It's like Tom Hanks, you know, fire me, fire. I do, you know, I turn that. So they tell me, hey, it's ready. And he shows it to me and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And then he says, however, they didn't fill up the propane tank. There's like, 5% in the tank, so you can like run this fire for a half an hour before it's gonna go out. You need to get them to come out and refuel the thing. It's like, man, all this time, all this expense, all this money, and the thing is gonna run out no matter how awesome it is if it doesn't have fuel. Listen to me, you gotta understand. All the stuff we're talking about, these basic things, are for your flourishing, your soul, that immaterial part of you, that real you. That's what we're trying to help flourish because from it, all these concentric circles go out. Community, kids, business, marriage, you name it. So here's what he says. Here's, the, here's verse 39 to 42. And he began and he went away and he prayed, saying the same words. So this is, again, the second time he's prayed. That might be the word some of you needed. You've given up on what God laid on your heart. You used to pray about it. You used to pray about that prodigal. You used to pray about that business venture. You used to pray about whatever that is, that mission trip. You used to pray about that, and you hadn't seen it answered yet. God hadn't said no, so you stopped praying. And today's the day you come back to praying. Many of the parables Jesus told in the New Testament about prayer have to do with persistence and perseverance. So unless God has said no, stop praying about that. He might be saying, wait, you go back to praying about that now. So here's what it is. He began and he went and prayed saying the same words. And again, he came and he found them sleeping. <laughs> For their eyes were very heavy. And I love this little phrase. And they did not know what to answer him. <laughs> it's like you fell on sleep on Jesus twice. And verse 41, he came to a third time and he said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners Rise, let us be going. And then he says, see, my betrayer, my betrayer is at hand. My betrayer. Now, who's the betrayer? It's Judas. Yeah, it's Judas. Have you ever thought about Judas? Because when we think about Judas, we think about Darth Vader, or we think about somebody like in a certain, you know, you just look at him in these pictures and you can tell he's the one that's got like the shadowy stuff on him. That's not the way it really was. Judas was the treasure. Judas was arguably the most trusted of them all. If you'd have done a study 
If you did another study two and a half years into Jesus's ministry, who is it that's gonna betray Jesus? It wasn't gonna be Judas. It would have been Peter. They would have said, well, Peter's the guy that Jesus said he's acting like the devil, but Judas would not have been that way. Judas saw all the miracles. Judas saw all the sermons. Judas, Judas literally could smell the breath of the Son of God, and yet the text is very clear that, you know what, he betrayed Jesus, actually never knew Jesus. And I told you last week, that scares me to death because that can happen in big churches. That can happen in this room. You can sit here and listen to the sermons and read the text and all that stuff, and the whole thing is, do I actually have actually surrendered to the Lordship of Christ? There's an interesting scene in the Lord's Supper. In the Lord's Supper, when he actually predicts or prophesies that one person will betray him, they all start going around the table, is it I, is it I? And if you look carefully, they're like, is it I, Lord, is it I, Lord, is it I, Lord? Lord is the word kurios, which means boss or master or Lord. So it goes around and around the table, and it's like, is it I, Lord, is it I, Lord, is it I, Lord? And then it gets to Judas, and he's like, is it I, Rabbi? Is it I, teacher? Is it I, partaker and giver of information. In other words, there was no surrendering to the Lordship of Christ with Judas. And so the question that you have to answer is, have I ever surrendered to the Lordship of Christ? Have I? Have I ever gone from Jesus, you are an imparter of information, you are a teacher of good things, you helped some in my marriage, but have you ever actually surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, which the Bible calls repentance? I was going this way and I was doing my own thing and I was my own boss and then I turned around and I surrendered my life to the Lordship of Christ. Now, some of you all haven't ever done that. And you, you, don't have to, you don't have to be with a priest. You don't have to even talk with a preacher. You can actually, where you are sitting right now with your eyes open and your head up, even online, you can sit there and go, you know what? I'm surrendering to the Lordship of Christ. When you died on that cross for me, when you pushed up on those nail-scarred feet and said, it is finished, somehow that counted for me. And so I'm turning from my way of trying to make life work and I'm surrendering to the Lordship of Christ. You tell him right now. Just say, that's me. That's me, Lord. I'm calling on you. That's the first response. So here's what we do as a church. As a church, for about the past six or eight months, we've been talking at different times and little by little, and we'll talk about it more as we go through Psalms this summer about we always want to respond to the gospel in the three ways that are always appropriate. We call them come, sing, bring. Come, sing, bring. Come, sing, bring. So let's take those one at a time. First one is this. Come. It means come and pray. It means when, when we look at the word is we come and we actually pray because Jesus, Jesus cares for me. Jesus cares for me. Jesus went to the cross for me. Jesus can sympathize with my weaknesses. Because the question you got to answer before you hit your knees is, does he even care? Does he even care? That is the question. That's the question in the back of our minds, whether you're a widow, whether you're a teen who has been bullied, whether you're a person that just lost their business, whether your spouse just walked out on you, what you have to answer is, does God even care for me? What you have to understand is even at Gethsemane, because Jesus faced aloneness, you do not have to face aloneness. Because Jesus was forsaken, you are never going to be forsaken. And so you can go and you can pour your heart out. The Bible says, cast all your anxiety upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. So what have you got there? What have you got you need to cast on him? Some of you here in a few minutes, you need to make a beeline and just come up here and pray and give it over to the Lord. I'm tired of this or God, I'm going back and praying for my prodigal. Or you pray for the person you're gonna invite to Easter. And here's the second one. Come and sing. Now sing. Some of you are like, I don't, I'm not a big singer. 
Okay, here, here's what it is. So Psalm 34, Psalm 34 is what I'm trying to memorize. If you wanna jump on the train, that's what I'm trying to memorize, Psalm 34. And Psalm 34 is a psalm that was written in difficult circumstances. Actually, David was in a cave and some guy was like, I'm, I might kill you. And so he actually acts crazy. So the guy thinks he's crazy and doesn't want any part of him and sends him out. But this is, this is, this is, this is the year of worship for our church. Doesn't mean we're gonna talk about worship all the time. Doesn't mean we're gonna sing all the time. Doesn't mean we're talk about music all the time. The idea though, the year of worship it means we gotta get rid of this thing about what it, it's the disease of finism. Finism is just rampant in our church. Finism is, how you doing? I'm doing fine. How you doing? Doing fine. How you doing? Fine, blessed and highly favored. And you're not, you're just not. Now, some of you are confused now because you're like, okay, you want me to come in here and be joyful even though I'm not joyful at all. And I would say this, worship is actually ascribing, because that's what worship, worship means worship, that you are worth more. So it doesn't mean that you fake it. It means that you by faith acknowledge that even though I don't know how my circumstances are gonna turn out, you do, you do. And you sing about a God who loves you and cares for you and paid for you. And it's not about how you feel. It's about what kind of faith am I gonna have? So again, here's the way, so let me just apply it to the front part of of Psalms, because all the Psalms, so many of them are about how do I praise God in difficult circumstances? And Psalm 34 starts off this way. Verse one says, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. So this is a guy that's running for his life. He's like, I will bless the Lord at all times. Which times? At all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. And then it says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. So what he's saying is, my soul makes its boast. It has its confidence in God. But then he's saying, other people see my confidence in God and it makes them happy. It says the humble. The humble are simply the people that's like, I don't have what it takes. The humble are the ones that are like, God, thank you for all the blessings that you have given me. The humble are the ones that's like, I can't change my prodigal. I can't make my business flourish. I can't make my spouse come back. I, got, I don't got this. I need you. That's the humble. It's like my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Verse three, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Let's magnify the Lord. Let us exalt his name together. So that means two things, congregationally, it means there is a dynamic that goes on when you're sitting around your brothers and sisters singing the praises of Almighty God. Can I just, let me just, couple, something. okay, a few of y'all. You all don't understand, some of you don't understand because you come in on the third song. Every Sunday you come in on the third song and some of you are like, well, I, you know, I just like the sermons and man, I, thank you for that. Thank you for that. But preaching is actually supposed to lead to worship. You understand that? It's not just Old school used to say, let's sing a few songs to prepare our hearts for, prepare our hearts for the word. Actually, no, that's, you're not just doing it to prepare your hearts for the word. You are worshiping almighty God. You are ascribing worth, saying you are worth it. And so when you come in like on Psalm 3, that's what Malachi would, Malachi, Malachi would go, would you do that to your boss? Would you show up to work 30, 40, 
15 minutes late and go, hey, I just wanted to kind of come in just for the meeting. And so let me challenge you, be here when that countdown hits because listen, you got 72 minutes. You got 166 hours of the world pushing against you and you got 72 minutes to get in the huddle and for God to like, let me talk to you in a dynamic with your other brothers and sisters. And um, it also means participatory, by the way. It's like magnify the Lord with me, with me, with me, participatory. Now listen, I know some of you sing terrible. Listen, I got to, I, I sit over to a guy that used to, I sit by a guy that used to be a worship pastor. And I sit by my wife, who was like a vocal performance major. You don't think I sound terrible? Of course I do. They don't laugh too much. I mean, but they know, man, I am what they call pitchy, all right? What Simon would call pitchy. Pitchy is like a terrible voice. That's not the point. The point is, am I telling and ascribing worth to God through singing? And so I'm gonna push you on that. Doesn't matter how you sing. Doesn't matter what the person next to you. He actually says, people are watching you the way you worship as a witness. And here's the way he ends at the very end of it. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. I sought the Lord and he answered me, but here's what he said, and he delivered me from all my fears. You know, you have 6,000 thoughts a day, 6,000 thoughts. And if you don't get some praise in there, if you don't get some things about how awesome God is, if you don't get some truth in there, what's gonna happen is those 6,000 thoughts are just gonna lead you to more and more and more and more fear. That's what it is. Not faith, it's gonna be fear. What's gonna happen, what's gonna happen, what's gonna happen? And so what happens is even if just for a few minutes, man, you stick some tunes on about some, you know, some song that builds your faith, I mean, that's going to start to come back because that's what they get. They get these, uh, what we call those earworms and it gets in your, it gets in your ear and you begin to sing and, and sing songs that build your faith, not doom scrolling all the way about how I told you. I told you during the early days of COVID, man, I, instead of, I got away from getting up every morning, getting in the word, and I'd get up at the same time, but then I'd take my phone out and I would just doom scroll. For, and all of a sudden, hours gone by and my faith just shriveled up like a tree that never gets watered. And so when we look here, it's like part of that, the whole praise that ends up just, you know what, because of the cross, God, Jesus is conquering. Because of the cross, Jesus is the victor. Because of the empty tomb, you know what, this is not the end. That my, I can have hope that my best days are in front of me. So... Um, Come sing, bring, for I pray. We'll just bring means what it means. It means some of you, thank God, you need to get right with God with your finances. Jump on the whole deal with the mission. I mean, we're seeing hundreds of people baptized. Well, jump on board with that thing. Some of you need to just surrender and bring the fact that, you know what, I need to get baptized. I need to get baptized. I've professed Christ privately, but I need to do my public profession of faith. Others of you, just like, what? I'm just gonna bring my time. I'm gonna go out there and serve. Some people are like, you know what? I had never been asked to serve. I'm asking you to serve, okay? I'm asking like, well, you don't need me. Y'all got a lot of people. I promise you, we need you. And you actually need to roll up your sleeves and jump in. So here's what I'm gonna do. Why don't you stand to your feet? And here's what we got. We got, uh, okay, first of all, there's a miracle because it's actually just, uh, it's, it's, I'm early, okay? I'm early, so the reason that I'm early gives you about four minutes this, this is this, so you know, the song starts off kind of low. And so you want to come up and pray? It's like, that's awesome. You want to come up and pray for somebody you're going to invite to Easter? You come up and call them by name. You want to come up and pray for your marriage or somebody else's marriage or your prodigal or whatever? You come up and pray. And so for like two minutes, it's going to stay kind of down. 
after about two minutes, it's gonna start to ramp. It's a very well-known hymn. You might not know how it ramps, though. When it ramps, it's like all you Pentecostals that come here, we're glad you're here. You show the Baptist how to actually worship, all right? So you might put your hand up, you might put both hands up, raise your voice, tap your foot, whatever you need to do. But last thing you wanna do is just sit there like this with a cup of coffee in your hand, acting like God's no big deal. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna say amen. And you, let's either come sing or bring. You come down here, lay a burden before the Lord, sing as best you can. Don't look at anybody if they're singing bad. Don't look over at them. Don't shush them. We don't shush at our church. You just let them go. Let them go. You can tell them later. And then we just, we can bring, okay? So Father, that's our prayer today. Thank you for a somber, sobering part of the scriptures where even you, it says we're greatly troubled. And that is, that's unfathomable. You are unbelievably courageous and brave. And yet the weight of our sin being put on you was staggering. We are sorry when we go through the motions. We're sorry when we don't, we just hold on to the burdens like we got this. We don't got this at all. God, our prayers the next three or four or five minutes or so that we'd be taking our burdens and casting them to you because you care for us just like you told us. God, I pray for the people that have given up praying over a certain thing that if you haven't told them no, that you would bring them back to praying, bring them back to hoping that you know what, God is gonna do this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. God, we already wanna pray for that whole Easter weekend, even though it's a few weeks away, we'll pray that you would prepare us, prepare us emotionally and spiritually to rejoice at the empty tomb, to grieve at the cross. But over the next few weeks, prepare us and also help uh, put on mind our one person that we can invite, our two people we can invite. We wanna pray for them by name today. We love you. Take the next four or five minutes. Be happy with it. Be pleased with it. Be blessed by it in, in, some, in some magnificent way that we don't even understand. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.